welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Team Builder. Team Builder is the premier strength and conditioning app for baseball teams. Team Builder is used by 11 organizations in Major League Baseball. Baseball coaches from travel to college teams can write training programs or choose from pre-designed training programs built by professional baseball strength coaches, all for as low as $50 per month. Personally, we used Team Builder when I was coaching at Western Illinois University. It's very user-friendly and streamlines all of your programming. It also makes training sessions on or off campus easier to access for your athletes. Right now, when you start a 14-day free trial, use promo code ABCA to receive four free baseball-specific strength and conditioning training programs directly into your account. In just one click, you can set your team up with a professionally designed strength training program delivered to every player's mobile app every single day. You can reach out to Hewitt Tomlin over at Team Builder on Twitter at T-E-A-M. B-U-I-L-D-R, or on their website at www.teambuilder.com, or via phone at 240-528-7848, and let Hewitt know that the ABCA sent you. And now on to the ABCA podcast. Next on Calls from the Clubhouse is Jeff Willis. Jeff has been the head baseball coach for 18 years and athletic director for 16 years at LSU Eunice. In that time span, LSU Eunice has won 850 games. The athletic department has 12 national championships, with six of those coming from the baseball program. In this episode, we dive into Coach Willis's responsibilities as head baseball coach and athletic director, and what it takes to build a national championship program and championship caliber student-athletes. Let's welcome Coach Willis to the podcast. Here with Jeff Willis. Uh, I just read this Juco baseball blog co coach of the year. So, congratulations for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, Ryan, I'm excited to be on here with you, man. You know, we go back a long way, man, college teammates at one point in time, and just a privilege to be on here with you. And, you know, when you get awards like that, that those are not, those are, have nothing to do with the coach. It has everything to do with the team that's sitting behind you. And that starts with your administration on, at your institutions, your assistant coaching staff, your players, your support staff from your trainers to your managers, um, to all of those people. So, you know, th- those are those are team awards, and and no coach ever got that without a support cast that was just unbelievable. But but excited of, you know about being here with you today and, and talking a little baseball and leadership and things of that. And I want to jump right in. Um... And this can be for coaching, but also as an athletic director. What do you wish someone would have told you before you took those jobs? Um, that's a great, yeah, great question. I think as you get older, you start to realize how much you don't know. You know, and I always say this to recruits and things of that nature. You know, when when I was twenty five years old, I thought I knew something. You know, I thought I knew something. But when I became 30 years old, I looked back to the time when I was 25 and I went, I didn't know anything at that point in time. And when I became 35, 40, and I started looking back, I said, I didn't know much during that time. And, and just like today, you and I are talking and I actually think maybe I have a little bit of knowledge about a couple of things, but I can guarantee you five years from now, I'm going to look back and say, I didn't really know as much as what I thought. 
And I think it's just been a growing, um, growing situation and understanding that, that you have to always change the way you're doing things. Um, and I always tell people all the time, I tell our, our student athletes, tell our coaches in our athletic department, there's no standing still in life. You're either moving in a positive direction or a negative direction. And I think when I was, I was hired when I was 24 years old here. Um, and I, and I thought, you know, at that, I was just glad I had a job, you know, to be honest in college baseball, just very, very happy. I had a job at that point in time. Um, but I think knowing now, if I would have known then what I know now, I, I would have done something a little bit different. Um, I, I didn't really embrace at that age that I had relationships with the players. Okay. And I, that was always my driving force when I, when I finally determined that I wanted to get into coaching, I knew I got in for the reasons of having an impact on young people, not to win, not because I was competitive, not because it was a paycheck, because I wanted to have an impact on young people. But I did not embrace the relationship part of that as much as I do today. And I can tell you this, in my day and age, when that athlete walks into my office and we shut the door and it's not coach and player, I walk across the desk and I sit right next to that student athlete. Um, and it's it's man to man and it's friend to friend at that point in time. And I think I missed some of those moments early in my coaching career that I wish I could go back um, and do that. Um, but we all know, hindsight, you know hindsight's 2020. Um, and, and life is not like that, but you can take those moments and learn from them. I also think back during the time, I didn't, I didn't really live in the present as much. I was always looking forward to something, okay? And I think we live in a day and age right now where, where the worker that's a manual labor worker, whoever, is looking at five, five o'clock if they get off. Like, I can't wait to get to five o'clock. I can't wait to get that break. I can't wait to get to that lunch break. Can't wait for the weekend. Can't wait for the vacation, all these things that we continue to look forward to in the future and we miss the smallest moments in our everyday life or the smallest moments for us to have that, that small relationship with somebody that we might be able to have an impact on for their betterment at that point in time. And I think, you know, at that point in time when you're young or even when you're old, and I think it's human nature that we're always either living in our past and beating ourselves up for our past from time to time or, or um, living in our past when we succeeded in our past, and, and or we're looking forward to the future and what, what's on the horizon, what we're looking forward to, all these things, and we just need to be where our feet are, be in the present, be in the here and now. And I think as a coach, when you start to break it down like that um, and you start to talk in those parameters with your student-athletes, it becomes extremely enjoyable. There's, there's impact that's being made, and there's a purpose in what you're actually doing. And I think we're all searching for purpose in our everyday. I think when a coach gets to that point and, and really embraces that part of that relationship and understands that winning is not on the scoreboard. You know, and, 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 we, and I understand we live in a society where scoreboards looked at all the time, but winning's really truly not on the scoreboard. Winning's truly not how much money's sitting in your pocket. It's not how much fame you have or how much power you have. Winning is taking the ability that's, that God's been given, that's given to you, and you developing it to reach your full potential in every area of your life. So we all have heard the quote, winning isn't a sometimes thing. Winning is an all the time thing. And, and I think you, when, you, when you put those things in parameters and that's your driving force and you understand you get to that point in time, you got a chance to take a group of young people or a business that you run or a corporation, or any type of team or organization that you have, and it's going to succeed because that's your motivating factors behind it. And so to, to answer your question, I think being where my feet are, 
you know, I wish I would have known that a little more back when I started this. And just to be able to build those relationships more like I do today compared to what I did when I was 24 years old. When you got, when you first got into it, who gave you some of the best advice and what was that advice? I had, I mean, I had numerous coaches and, and I was lucky. I look back on that and I go, I'm so happy that, that, you know, I had all my coaches growing up from junior high. Well, I mean, start off with your dad. Everybody's dad coaches them for the most part. Then you move on to junior high and your high school coaches, then your college coaches. And, and, um, and I was lucky to play for three different college coaches. And I was a, one of them was your dad, you know, and, and I was able to take those three college, co- my high school coaches and be able to take all of those individuals and take the things that I liked, take away from the things that, that I did not like and kind of develop what I, what I was doing. So I was able to be around a bunch of different people, whereas sometimes people are only around one college coach or maybe they're only around one high school coach because they may have been only playing one sport. I was lucky to play all the different sports and have all those different coaches um, through that time um, and then kind of take and, and develop what I wanted to take to the young people. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with discipline. And when you learn that level of discipline, you truly care about the people that are around you and the young people because they're, everyone likes discipline. They not admit it, but people like structure. And we're seeing it in today's day and age with, with the unknown of, of the coronavirus and everything that's going on out there and people trying to figure out their days that maybe they're not going into the office or they may have lost their job or, or been furloughed or things of that nature. They're, they're in this, what's going on right now? Because their structure has been interrupted right now. So everybody likes structure. Everybody likes discipline. Um, and I think those are just things that, that those individuals, I had one person tell me one time that, some of the best advice, and I tell our young people all the time, is this. You don't live your life based on your emotions. Your emotions are all over the place. So one day you're high, one day you're low. You're This roller coaster, these ups and downs. You make the decisions that you have in life based on what is right and wrong. Because right and wrong never changes. Okay, But your emotions are here and, here and there. And if you start to make your decisions based on what your emotions are telling you, you're going to get yourself in, 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 in some trouble. I'm always always cringe when I hear people say, I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to go with my gut. Well, where's your gut at that day? Is your gut down here and you're emotional? Is your gut up here and you're emotions? I think it's, it's very, but if it's even kill, well, maybe there's some truth behind that, but you just don't know where those individuals are. And I, you know, when you tell young people that make your decisions, what you, what you know is right versus wrong, because, because it's one or the other. Okay. But you could get to a point in life where whatever decision you make, could be right with what whichever route, whichever way you go. And I tell people that's the time that you might want to pray about that, or you might want to seek out some outside counsel on on what they see, so you can get a different perspective of what you're seeing during that time. And I think that's that's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard was was make decisions based on what is right and wrong, not based on what your emotions are, because right and wrong never changes. What about as an athletic director? Did you get any advice early on when you decided to take on that role as well? Well, I, I had to seek out. I had to, I had to make numerous phone calls because, you know, I became the athletic director when I was 26 years old. All I knew at that point in time was I was going to put my head down and I was going to grind away. And I wanted the coaches that were underneath me to see, you know, see my my direction of what I was doing personally with my team. And and I think I'm, I'm still in a, you know, we're all in a growing process, whether we're in coaching or as an administrator right now. Um, and I, I, I set my staff down, all of our coaches down, and I tell them, 
all of us in this room are better together than any of us. Okay. Meaning by themselves. And so I want to hear ideas from the people that are on our staff, but also I've got to make phone calls. I've got to ask what other people are seeing during that time. And even, you know, back when I became that, you, you have a select group of people that you're calling and asking them, you know, how, how would you handle this situation? What would you do here? Um, and it's just making sure that you don't get stuck in this box and you feel like you have to make all these decisions and you, you uh, shut the door on everybody around you. You open those doors and making sure that you're seeking other people's advice. I, I, I tell our team all the time. I tell our coaches all the time. If you still have grandparents alive or people that are maybe not even your grandparent, your family, but someone that's just older, that's lived in a different generation from you, you might want to set them down. You might want to set them down and ask them what you had to learn. And I think one of the biggest tells of my my career and, and who I am today is when I was a freshman in college, I had to write a paper when, when, when I was on the team with you, I had to write a paper for a class about, you know, you know, some type of story. And what I chose was to interview my grandfather who lived during the Great Depression. And when I, I never had that conversation with him. And when I set him down to get that information and write that five, six page paper on what he told me during that time, I still have the paper. Like I still pull it out and I read it to our team to say, this is what people in this generation had to live through. Or you could go back to individuals that lived during World War II. This is what individuals had to live through back during this time. And I would challenge people to find those individuals and bring them into their team and just have them talk, you know, and, and have, have them ask questions. And we do that in the fall where we do, you know, so a mon- Monday motivational type of thing. We bring somebody in that has had some real life experience. It may be someone that's a successful business person or it may be a vet- Vietnam vet. That, that lived through some serious stuff that had to do some things that you and I would never want to have to make those decisions to do. When young people hear that, they start to realize what they think is really, really bad in their day is nothing with that. You know, and I think it's also when you wake up each and every morning, do you look at your look at your life and say, it's half full right now, or my cup's half full right now, or right when you wake up and you all of a sudden saying my cup's half empty right now. It's all about putting those thoughts in your mind, but also having the thoughts that that you're each and every day, you wake up with a sense of excellence. When you wake up with a sense of excellence, whatever you do right out of the chute determines the next step and the next positivity step that you're going to make throughout your day. So if you brush your teeth right out of the chute when you wake up, brush it with a sense of excellence. Like get after your teeth, man. You know, don't, don't halfway do that. Do it with all your might, with a sense of excellence. Those small choices start to add up and they start to compound. We always talk about this in athletics, you know, how do you eat that elephant that's sitting in that room? How, how do you do that? You know, if it feels so overwhelming, you're never going to be able to tackle that. But if you're able to take that and say, I'm going to do it one bite at a time, all of a sudden, a, a day, a week, a month, three months, six months, you look up and say, that thing's pretty small now. You know, because you've always moved in a positive direction with that. Okay. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have bad days either, because we're going to have bad days and it's life. And, and, and I think one of the biggest tells that we want our teams and our coaches to understand is we want to have a deserve to win mindset. So each one of us has, has that thought, whether, whether we um, know it or not, you, you could change the verbiage of, do you deserve to succeed or do you deserve to do well, or do you deserve to win? That's either a yes or a no. Each and every one of us can 
either answer that with yes, I do, or no, I don't. And when you, you can get your student athletes to understand whether they deserve to win or not, okay, and when they understand with affirmative, yes, I do, but it's just not what they're doing on the field. It's off the field. It's in the weight room. It's how they treat people. It's how they do in the classroom. All those things are interconnected. But when they have this deserve to win mindset, they go out and play with a tremendous amount of confidence. So when they start to play, you know, everyone talks about we're playing a game of failure out there. We're not. It's a game of opportunity. You know, you can't when, when you can succeed three out of 10 times and be deemed a success, that that that's not a game of failure in my mind. That's a game of opportunity. But you're just changing your thinking to be optimistic, not pessimistic, to be glass half full versus glass half empty. It's just taking the lemon lemons and making lemonade out of them. You know, look, it's dark outside. See the stars. I mean, you, you can change all those things, but getting young people or anybody for that matter to see the positive that's sitting in front of you and having a deserve to win mindset, you sleep very easy at night when you deserve to win. You deserve to have something good happen to you. But when you know deep down that you don't deserve to win or you don't deserve to succeed, that's when things start to creep in. That's when doubt starts to creep in. That's when all these things start to go through your mind that don't cause you to live up to your potential. You know, and, and so we want our guys to make sure, hey, you deserve to win. You deserve to have something good happen to you. You deserve to, to, to succeed. All of those thoughts. So when they go play a game, they play with zero fear. And whatever happens, happens. We tell our guys on a game day, you play hard and you have fun. Those are the only two things. We want no fear of failure. We don't, we, we've got to put them in some practice sessions that, that some pressures on them, but we can't have fear going through their mind. Okay. Because they're going to fall apart and this game is going to eat them up at that point in time. And I think it's just getting that and, and get them to understand that that confidence level, there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence. Okay. You got, you got to flirt with that line though. Okay. We can't be overconfident. We can't be arrogant, but we can't be underconfident either. We've got to have some confidence behind us. And all of that revolves around you having an idea that I deserve to win. I deserve to win because I've worked my tail off in the weight room. I, you know, coach, I'm winning in the dark. I mean, I'm, you know, <clears throat> success is done in the dark when nobody's watching. And if students are doing that or an employee of a company or an organization, if they're winning in the dark and the game, then the lights come on or in their business setting, the lights come on and they've got to do some presentation, whatever. They nail that thing because they know they're prepared for it and they know that they deserve to have it happen for them. I still get butterflies when I go give talks and when I get on the circuit, I get butterflies before every speech I, I give now. Hey, you, you have an athlete just graduated, maybe thinking about coaching, maybe thinking about getting into administration. What are some realistic expectations for somebody that's looking to get into it? Well, I always poll my players of who wants to go into coaching. And then I always want to have a conversation with them. Why do they want to do that? And, and I, I you, you know, young people, sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. And I want them to understand that they don't go into coaching like we talked about a little earlier for a paycheck. Okay, You can go get another paycheck. If you go into coaching for a paycheck, first of all, there's very few coaching jobs that you get paid a, a buttload of money for. Um, but you're going to be you're, you're going to shortchange your kids. You're going to shortchange the players that are underneath you. You don't get into it because you're competitive. Okay, that, that's not because if you get into coaching because you're competitive, that's going to cause you to shortchange the kids as well and possibly compromise your integrity trying to do that as well. You don't get in there because that you don't get into coaching because that's all you know. You were a college athlete, you played at a high level, 
hey, I know this and, and I understand this and I can teach this. You don't get into it for that. You only get into coaching to have an impact on young people. And if that's not your motivation for it, don't go into it. And if there's coaches out there that are in, in for, in the coaching because of those other things and not to have an impact on, they need to get out of it. Because here's the other part of this. They have a tremendous privilege to have an impact on young people, but they have a tremendous responsibility to make sure that they're doing right by those young people. Because those young people are taking the things that they've learned. They're going into their, whether they're going to be a coach or not, they're going into their family, raising their children. Their children are going to raise their children. So what you're teaching and how you're teaching within those, you know, whether it's our school, that's a two-year school or a four-year school, anywhere from two years to five years, has a tremendous impact, not just on that one individual, but every single individual that person comes in contact with. You know, and I looked at it. Back in the spring, I said, you know, we're going to figure out how many players of ours have been through here at LSU Eunice that are now coaching. Well, we're, we're, over, we're almost 50 players now that are in the coaching profession. And I look at that and go, okay, if they're in a high school setting, I think there's seven of them that are in college baseball. But if they're, there's, if they're in a high school setting and they each have 30 players between a varsity and a junior varsity, you know, and, and each year – and let's just drop that number down to 40, 40 times 30, that's 1,200 young people a year that are having an impact on what you're doing and what you're teaching in our setting here. Whoa, that, that, that number right there all of a sudden gets you because those 1,200 people that are out there, that's one year. Okay, That's not counting the high school coach that's coaching football and cross country and these other sports. Let's just take that small number right there. That person is going to go into business. Or, or whatever they're going to do and have an impact on the people that are around them, on their family, on their children, that number starts to grow. So the coaching profession, there's not one out there that can have as much of an impact in that of coaching. And so with that, it comes a, a tremendous amount of responsibility to do what we're doing. And so for somebody to get into coaching, you know, I, they're going to have to, you know, I, my first two years, I, I, first year I didn't get a paycheck, you know, I, I, my wife, you know, my wife and I, we lived in the worst, you know, trailer park in America, you know, and, and I remember like she wouldn't, she wouldn't raise the blinds up cause she didn't want to look outside and, and she's waiting tables till, you know, at a pizza joint till like one, one or two o'clock in the morning. And we're eating ranch style beans and, and, and bologna and cheese sandwiches and ramen noodles. We're just trying to make it through that because now I'm in grad school, um, you know, just trying to make it. And that summer I went and, um, that summer I went and worked at a lumber yard because we, we were engaged at that point in time. And so I wanted to make some money in the summertime just to make it through the next year. But also I wanted to take her on a honeymoon at that point in time. And I remember this at working at that lumber yard. I was the, I was in South Texas working at the lumber yard and I'm the only new person there. Everybody there has worked forever. Okay. And their money came up missing in the register. Okay. Who do you think I blame for that? The new guy, okay, the new guy, which, you know, I'm trying to figure out the register, there's money missing, okay? So they come to me and, and you know, hey, you, you took, no, I didn't, you know, I'm in grad school, I've got a, I'm, I'm, I'm the old, nothing wrong with not having a college diploma either. There's, there's all kinds of different opportunities for different people, but I'm the only one with a college education. I'm in grad school as well, and now I've been taken off the registers, sent out to the barn where it's a hundred and something, 20 degrees out there to tag items, and I have to push the cart and hang, which, okay, I, I, this is what I'm going to have to do. And then you get told, 
go clean the toilets. Okay. And basically you went from working up there, hanging out with them to now you've been accused of this. And I remember being so upset going, all right, I, but I can't quit. And I'm not going to quit because they're not going to get the best of me. Because if you did do that, then, then it's like, Hey, maybe he did do it for real. And then about two weeks later, the accountant figured out what had taken place. An employee, the, the longest tenured employee there had gone into the return system and the way the computer system was set up is you didn't have to minus something out because once you pushed return, it would minus it out of inventory. Well, he pushed return and then he typed in minus this and it caused it to make a positive in the books and they found the discrepancy in the books of it. So nobody stole anything. Okay. So then it's, Hey Jeff, you can come back. You can work on our register. You're sorry. All this took place. Sorry we did this. Oh, okay guys. We're all right. I don't know. Whatever. I understand. A week or two later, Money comes up missing again. The same thing happens. You're off the register. You must have took it. All this time, oh my God, whatever. Now I'm I'm extremely, extremely pissed off at that point in time. And uh, $20 was missing. So it's even $20. So I mean that looks like somebody just took $20 out of the out of the out of the register. And and later on, when when they had to go to the owner and say 20 bucks is missing, and we think this guy took it, he goes, Oh. I took $20 out of the register to pay the Coke man. And, and I, so they have to come back to me again after they're telling me, I'm telling you, now they're trying to get me to quit. Go clean the toilets again, do all this stuff. While they're setting up there at the front, so we can picture a lumber yard, they're just hanging out, drinking their coffee, and I'm pushing the cart, sweating like it, like no get out, um, doing, being told all these things, trying to get me to quit. Um, and then they got to come back and apologize to get come back. No, 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 guys, not working the register no more. Not, I'm done. I'm done with that point in time. Um, you guys figure that out. I'm going to push the card out here. You guys hang out out there all you want. So you've got to pay your dues. You know, you have to pay your dues to be able to get into this gig of in the college. Um, and it's, and you, and you have to get the timing's got to be right as well. I mean, I look at how the school here at LSUE hired me when I was 24 years old. I got lucky. I think I got, I had good references. I will say that my references were good. Um, and, and when I got in front of somebody um, and got a chance to interview and sit down with them, they saw the passion that I had um, and what I wanted to try to do with the young people. And they gave me a chance. Um, but, but you're going to have to take some lumps. You're going to have to pay your dues. Um, you've got to build, you, you, you've got to go out and work camps. You've got to go out and meet people. And, and I can tell you this, walk up to a coach and shake their hand and introduce yourself you know, don't, don't, that, I, I, I love that guy comes up. That tells me the guy has a little bit of confidence, has, has um, some self-motivation and what they're trying to do. Whereas a lot of times you go to these camps and people are working and they're just kind of stepping in the back and they never want to approach the power five head coach and shake their hand and introduce themselves. He may not remember who you are, or you may make a lasting impression that all of a sudden he might not hire you, but he all of a sudden sees your work ethic when he hears there's an opening, he's able to call someone and say, hey, I saw this guy. Might not know much about him, but you might want to check into him because he made an impression on me. So I think those types of things. But understanding that this the college part of it, every college coach has some story like I just told you. You know, and, and I know my second year in college baseball when I was down in South Texas as well, you know, I, I got some money um, off of parking cars at our football games at that point in time. But after that year was up, that money was going to be gone and I seek out other opportunities, you know, and married. Um, and we waited to have children to later on. 
Um, but, but I knew this is what I was going to have to do. And I was willing to do whatever it took to see if I could make that happen. And you're running a baseball program and you're running an athletic department. What type of tools are you using to stay organized? I mean, you've got a lot of different fires going on and a lot of different irons and different fires. What are you using to stay organized with everything? Well, I I think, you know, you know, my, my service pro is number one, man. You know, and just just having that and having the notes app that's sitting on there and being able to, you know, I used to keep notes on my phone and on an iPad and things like, but it wasn't searchable at that point in time. But being having having that service pro sitting in front of you and having the notes section over there that's searchable and, you know, I don't, you know, I used to, I still use the legal pads as well. I got one sitting right here next to me, but I've tried to transition all of that onto that Surface Pro. And, and when I'm in meetings, just type in that because I don't have to go looking for it. I can search for it, you know, with that, you know, and also I need to, I need to have a recollection of, of what, what have I told my coaches? What have I, um, you know, what are the notes I have? Um, because I mean, you got so many irons in, in so many fires right now, you may say, did I, did I talk to them about that or not? But if I can go back and search that, oh yeah, I talked to them or, Hey, no, no, I didn't. So I need to make sure I did. So just being, you know, organized. I know with our baseball program, I have our whole calendar that's typed up a year in advance. So I can I can tell you what we're going to do, you know, September 27th. You know, I can tell you exactly what's going to take place, whether it's a, a meeting that's going to take place, whether it's a sports psychology book we're going to start, uh, you know, whether it whatever it is, it's setting on that calendar. Um, and every year that calendar gets updated, and we try to enhance that. And every year we're changing something, you know, we, I mean, we've won a national championship and the next year I revamp almost the entire fall, you know, and because, because, and my story with that comes back when, when, when coach Saban was over at LSU in 2003 and, and they just come off winning the national championship at LSU. And, and I was lucky enough to have a couple of players on our team that their fathers were on his football coaching staff and, they come off winning the national championship in 2003, it's 2004, it's national signing day. They've got the number one recruiting class in the country. And so in the football ops building, they had a big old state of Louisiana setting up there. And he was just staring at that state of Louisiana. So as the football assistant coaches and support staff start rolling through, they don't know why, why coaches is sitting there staring at the that thing. And nobody wants to ask him either. You know, so they, what's going on? They're walking by him. So then they start to wonder like, Hey, what is he doing? What, what, why is he doing that? So one of them finally gets the nerve up to go say, hey, coach, what are you doing, man? Why are you looking at that state? And, and cause they thought maybe the recruit flipped on them and it's going somewhere else. And he's, he's trying to figure out like, where can we go get somebody else? But no, he says, well, looking at this state, cause I'm trying to figure out a better way to recruit it. He had just come off a national championship and he had just had the number one recruiting class in the country. And there's always rooms, room to do things better. You have to search those out. And so when I hear people say, you know, don't fix it. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Nonsense. That I, I hate hearing that because I think there's always a way to evaluate what you're doing and there's always a way of doing it better. And if you're not changing with the times, you're going to die with the times. And I think those are the things that, that people never seem to grasp because they say it worked. Okay. So if it's not broke, you don't have to fix it. You know, and I know us, you know, we come off a national championship and we may do something way different in the fall, you know, just to see if we can do it better and always trying to, 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 you know, try to try to figure out just a better way of doing things. Well, we're right in the middle of it. And you and I have talked about this usually face to face on this was through Skype. 
and now everybody's using Zoom, but Skype basically had the, the market cornered for this type of activity and nobody's using Skype anymore. Everybody's using no, Zoom no. now. Well, yeah, you got Zoom and, and every, I'll tell you something I've learned through this. I, I never really thought about it. So when you make your recruiting phone calls and I might not want to share this, but when you make refer, recruiting phone calls and you're talking to a recruit, why not do it on Zoom now? Exactly. Why not have mom and dad sitting right next to you on the couch right then and there? I mean, th- those are just things that, that I never thought of that now I said, wow, we're going to, we're going to utilize that like you wouldn't believe, um, you know, and, and I, I had to have some conversations with some recruits um, through Zoom. And I, when I started asking, you know, early month ago, two months ago, whenever it was, and I asked them, hey, do you guys know what Zoom is? Oh, yeah, we know what Zoom is. We're, we're talking about seniors and how they know because they've been on it. Like they, they probably know how to run it better than you and I know how to run it. You know, and so it's just diving into that technology, figuring out a way, better ways to do it. So there's a silver lining in this. How many of us would learn how to – would you have learned how to use them? No. Then? No, I, I would have kept doing Skype. Well, yeah, Jackson, I, I, Jackson made fun of me because I I come home for the the virus and I'm trying to show him Audacity, the editing equipment that I use for the podcast editing, and he's making fun of me. He's like, Dad, I know how to use Audacity. Like, you don't have to show me how to use that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it's just, and it's it's like you know, if you want to, if you want to get into to. Uh, you know, coaching, you got the whole analytic part of this that's going on. Okay. And so there's pluses and minus from that. You're in a game and you're with young people that you don't really want them thinking much. You want them to go compete. You know, you want to go punch somebody in the mouth. You want to, you know, all the you know analogies you could come up with. But the other part of this, all these young people are raised on the rap soda, on the, you know, the hit tracks, on, on all these, all these things that are they out there. Blast right? sensors now, like everybody's yeah. using everything. You know, you, so you you better be able to speak that lingo. And if you can't speak that lingo, then you're going to die. But there's a fine balance between all of that, you know, because the other part of it is if you just dive into all that, because I, what I see right now with 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 recruits that are coming in, they 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 can they can showcase themselves. They can go to the showcase. They can run fast. They can throw hard. They can do all these things because they they train to do that. It's they're lacking right now the competition level. Okay. And it's almost like we're having to teach them to compete now more than ever. Um, and I think that's fun. That's fun to teach people how to compete. And and I think you got to teach them how to compete more today than you did 15 years ago, without without a doubt. And I think a lot of that has to do with what we're seeing with all the showcases, with all the travel tournaments, which which are great for recruiting because you can show up and you can see a lot of players and they can play with a lot, lot better competition during that time. But also – the winning and losing and the success versus failure part of it doesn't bother them as much because they're going to play another game in 45 minutes, you know? And I think there's, and there's a fine line between that because you want them to live in the here and now and live in the present, not the past, but also there's a motivational factor when you fail and you get punched and you get knocked down, you got to get your rear end up and there better be a little bit of something about you with a little bit of gumption about you that says, you know what, I'm learning from that experience and I'm going to get over this, and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not letting that happen to me again. And so I think one of the greatest things right now that that I hope every young person has watched is, is the last dance of, of just seeing Michael Jordan, seeing that drive, because they don't know. Like, they didn't they didn't see him play like you and I. They didn't grow up watching him in practice and throwing a ball at somebody's head and, and having some choice words for that because the guy's halfway doing it. Like, like he was – and he is. He's so driven – Young people need to see that. That's what the greats have done. 
And it wasn't he's he's not a rear end and he's just not a bad teammate. He cares so much about his team and his and his teammates. He will not accept mediocrity. Those are the things that young people need to see because they're just in their bubble right now. They got to get out and start to really truly understand what selflessness is. And the selflessness part of that is caring about your teammates more than yourself and not accepting mediocrity to you truly care about your teammate. You're not going to let him halfway do things. You're not going to let him off the hook. You're going to make sure that he gets after it and reaches his full potential. If you truly care, if you don't care about your teammate, you're, you're going to let him halfway do things. You know, and I think just getting kids to understand that and understand those dynamics, that, that's part of leadership. And they're all going, they're all leaders right now, but they're all going to become bigger leaders when they have their own families. And if they start to understand those leadership components, your team flourishes, but also their family flourishes in the end as well. Besides inner squads, besides playing somebody else on the baseball field, what competitive things do you like to do with your team? Well, we, there, there's times where we'll just stop everything, and it's the nearest guy next to you is paper, rock, scissors. You lose, you got push-up, 10 push-ups, 15 push-ups. And, and I'll tell you, we, we, we want the guy who won, like, like count his push-ups and maybe rib him a little bit on that. You know, th- those are just the – just create all kinds of little competitions – that, that you're in the middle of, of a fungo session and, all right, two out of three, paper, rock, scissors, move on, and now you get a big winner with everything. But but also in the fall, we split our team up into to three different teams, and, and we have a whole scoring system that's developed off this. It has to do with on-the-field, off-field, community service projects, in the weight room, um, all these different things. And, and on the baseball, on the field part of it, like an inner squad win is worth a hundred points for your team. But if your teammate misses class and doesn't notify coach, it's minus 200 points. So when, when, and I, what I got tired of <clears throat> several numerous years ago is I got tired of yelling. I got tired of just having to have those talks. Whereas now you've got to practice and someone missed class and your team, Hey, is minus 200 points right now. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say because at the end of the fall, there's a payout. There's a week of payout of all these things that have to be done. Also, there's that community service pro- project of, of that. They they pick their only only or their their own community service projects. Well, with that, it's one thing for a coach to Jeff. To do you put do you put stipulations on those community service? Do you give them a, a list of things they can do, or do they have to go out and, and find things to do? They they have to They've come up with their it. ideas. And then that I have to approve them because I, I don't want them out doing stuff that, mm, you know, so I have to approve them, but they have ownership over that. And when you get your team to have ownership over it and it's their team, you know, I tell them all the time, it's not my team. It's not the school's team. It's the player's team. You're going to do as well as you want to do. And when they get that and they come up with their own community, they have ownership in it. They go and do it and they can do multiples for those points. And, you know, and, and there's the whole, point system on the offense. So our offensive coaches and managers are keeping a clipboard at practice on the offensive side. Okay. And so there's a minus, you know, you, you strike out looking that's minus 20 points for your team. You know, it, you know, lead off walk, it's minus 20 points for your team Two out walk. All, you can develop all of those things. And so what I did was I literally put one of those legal pads next to my recliner one summer and just started writing, just writing down everything I could come up with. And every year we come up with something else that we didn't think of, we need to add that into our scoring system. You know, there's a team lifter of the week. There's an individual lifter of the week. So those point systems go in 
the grades are associated with that. How many, how many, what GPA, how many guys have three, five or better? Those are points at, at midterm, three or better. If you have D's and S, your team's getting subtractions on that, you know, and just to get them to start to understand when you post that score every single Monday morning and they look up there and say, we're behind. Why are we behind? Well, we're behind because so-and-so didn't go to class. Now, all of a sudden, those guys get up in the morning and they're on their team. They're going to wake their teammate up. You're going to class. You're going to class. But also, we tell them you could be traded from any team at any point in time. So now, that keeps the, the teammate that's a roommate of somebody that's on another team from saying, oh, just let him sleep in because his team's going to get subtracted points. So, I, we and we tell them you could be traded at any point in time because life's not fair. And the quicker you can learn that life's not fair, the better off that you're going to be. And, and when they start, we've made trades the day before the, the in no, November, the day before in November, before we paste, post the final things. And I can those guys are like, what? I just went from the championship team to that. It's life, fellas. That's how, that's how it goes. And, and you know, so we, you got to understand, you got to look out for all of your teammates. You got to be pushing them all to deserve to win. And when they finally get that, you're going to get a team that, that, that is going to be a cohesive unit, all pulling with synergy, all in the same direction. What other team decisions are you allowing them to to have responsibility over and take ownership up? What what other what other decisions team wise? It could be anything, uniforms, meals. Are you letting them decide any of the other things that are going on with the program? Well, like meals, I, I've always <laughs> meals seem to be like when you're on the road. I've all you know nobody's ever going to like this. If you go to one place, there's no possible way. So what I've always tried to do is let's go find a cluster of restaurants. Let's hand out meal money, and they can separate out because then they can't they can't gripe, they can't moan, they can't do any of those things based on that, and it just takes away from those levels. But some coach may say, "Well, I'm going to do it," and you know they can get over it. Well, we're trying to to build chemistry trying to get everybody pull, and trying to eliminate all those, but like uniforms and stuff. I'll ask them like, what, what are we wearing Friday night? I mean, sometimes I'll just ask the starting pitcher, what do you want to wear? You know? And, and uh, I think another thing I always do at the end of practice, I always ask for words of wisdom, you know, and, and from the team. And it's amazing when you empower young people to come up with that, they got tremendous thoughts in their mind and they can come up with some things you've never thought about but also there'll be days where, hey, who's got words of wisdom and nobody has it? Then you're calling on someone. And you can tell who's confident, who's not, who's got their head down, who's not looking at me. Um, but, but those are things you want to have leadership. But for us, you know, you know, there's been times, like this spring, I walked out to practice one day, and, and practice happens at the end of practice. A couple of our, our captains have a couple of guys that play, and I don't know what's going on. Like, what, what are they doing? And come to find out they miss class. Like I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to, I didn't know they missed class, but the team knew they missed class and the team knew that they were not deserving to win if they had people that were taking shortcuts. Okay. And so there's nothing personal in that. They were literally just holding each other accountable and the player, they were running. Those players were running, you know, and those captains were like, Hey, no hard feelings. We just got a certain way of doing things around here. This is the culture that we have. We have a culture of excellence, and we're not letting you get by by shortchanging yourself being the best that you can possibly be. And so when you can get that kind of stuff going, and it just snowballs. And all of a sudden, you get a group, man, they are pulling in the same direction. They're all on the same page, and it's exciting to see that. Are you using point systems within the athletic department then? So, like, say, do you do you have point systems for, like, baseball, 
soccer, basketball? Are you using point system no. with everybody as a whole? No, no, I haven't done that in the athletic department. But one thing I have thought about doing is taking a point system for community service in that and having them have a points. But but with but when you do something that within an athletic department, it's not really fair because how do you do that? How do you clock hours? I mean, you can average some things out and stuff like that. But a team that has a lot more members on it, they can go and do more hours and and kind of split up. It's very tough to do those. So I haven't taken it to the athletic department level as far as that. Um, but I have set all of our coaches down of other, our other sports and show them this is what we're doing in the sport of baseball. Please develop something for your own team so that you can utilize this to get them to understand the compete and everything that they're a part of, not just out there on the field to play. Percentage of your day, what's split between – head baseball coach and then athletic director? Well, what I try to do is my mornings, I try my mornings are all athletic director stuff. Okay. You know, we've got six sports here. So I've got five other head coaches and we doubled the size of our athletic department, I guess, two years ago. That was a tough year. That was a tough year because I had to take three head coaches and train those, those head coaches on, on what to do. Now that they've been here a certain amount of time, you know, last year we have a new softball coach this past year, a new women's basketball. So there's two there. Um, but once you kind of get those, they, I don't want to micromanage them. I want to empower them to make their decisions and let them run the programs. Um, so they're, they're, they, they deem their own success. They also deem their own failure as well. And so they have ownership. But administrators that put their thumbs on people and really micromanage people, I don't, I don't like that. Look, with our assistant coaches, I will not micromanage them. They're – like our hitting guy, he's yeah. But you're a coach. Like that comes from having a coaching background. I think we miss a little bit of that in college athletics now. And there's nothing against an athletic director that didn't coach, but very rarely do you see an athletic director that's also coached because they're going to understand what the head coach is actually going through because you've been through it. So you're going to understand that you, there's no reason to micromanage your coaches as an athletic director because you've been through it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, but I also, yeah, right on. When you're talking about you, if you have to micromanage people, then they're robots. Okay, robots are replaceable. I want people that can make decisions on their own, on the fly, that are good, rational decisions. Okay, and then have no feel, fear of failure with those decisions. We may have to have a talk about it. We may have to say I wouldn't have done it like that. But I don't want them to to be be paralyzed because they feel like they've been micromanaged. And what is the athletic director thinking? What's the head coach thinking? No, no. Go run your show, do the best that you possibly can, um, and then we'll evaluate it at the end. Um, but but you you want your coaches and all your sports to move on to bigger and better levels as well. And I think if you truly want them, they've got to fail at certain points in time and learn from that failure. Just don't micromanage. Don't put your thumb on them. Let them make mistakes. Let them learn from those mistakes. If you've got a great person that, that, that has the, the, the intangibles, you know, their character integrity is off the charts. They, they, they're already ahead of the game. You can teach that person a lot of different things, but if they don't have those things, it's time to get somebody else. And if you got to micromanage somebody, it's time to get somebody else as well. And so that's why I, t- I tell our players that tell our coaches that as well. I'm not going to micromanage you because when people do that, you're a robot at that point in time, robots are replaceable. I want no robots around here. I want people that can make decisions that are confident in those decisions and they, and their teams see them leading. Okay. Not leading with something they don't believe in because they didn't make the decision. So I above them made that decision. 
your evaluation process with your head coaches at the end of the year? What are you going off of? So what are you evaluating besides wins and losses? What are you evaluating them on as a head coach? Well, I, well, several things. I actually, what's funny is we're talking right now and I've got all this data sitting in front of me that I've been compiling really, you know, last week and this week about different things. And I've got their GPAs of their teams in there, but I also understand a certain team probably is going to perform better in the classroom than another team. I, I understand that process, um, but I want I want to see their GPAs improving from from the the spring semester should be a better GPA than the fall semester. I don't care what sport you're in, it should be better, especially when you're dealing at a two year school level and everyone's toughest toughest semester is their first fall in college. Yeah, I mean I remember mine when when we played. I, I got a two point one seven. Like I got a two one seven because I didn't know I didn't know how to write a paper I didn't know how to do all these things but I graduated with a three point six seven you know it, it but it was a learning curve and I had to learn and adjust because I was on my own for the first time but when you can see I want to see those things improve from the fall to the spring if they're not improving there's something there I, I want to see how they do do on the on the field or on the court what's their winning percentage but what also is their strength of schedule. We got to evaluate that aspect of it. You know, I think the in a junior college setting, you don't have an RPI, you don't have anything out, but you have the Massey ratings. So you have a rating system out there from the Massey ratings that's unbiased. It's not me telling somebody this. It's not another coach telling somebody this. It's taking your strength of schedule, all these factors in, and you've got an unbiased. So I, that's part of my evaluation of my coaches as well in our programs, um, looking at what what are they doing community service wise. You know, and I tell them, I want your students to drive that community service, not you. Because every coach can set up some type of community service, but the team never has ownership over that. Okay. So that about, and then the fundraising aspect, can you raise money? You know, can, can you get out with some charisma, with some energy and get somebody to get on your team, you know, in a fundraising capacity? Those are things that, that they can be developed over time, but people have to be put in those those situations to be able to develop those skill sets from time to time. Um, and so those are the things that we're evaluating. You know, I, I want to see what kind of impact are you having on your team, not in the form of wins and losses, but in the form of what type of human beings are on your team, you know, and you could have had people that were struggling that you, you mentored through that time period that they're different now. Because you gave them an opportunity, you gave them a chance, um, and you mentored them through that, and they had a life change at that point in time. Because that's why we're in this as well, you know. And, and so, when you go to recruit, you're, you know, you could get all kinds of different kids, but what are you doing with those kids and mentoring them to either head down the wrong direction? Are you able to change the direction? Because that's another as that's the aspect of why you get into coaching. So those are all my evaluation models. Um, you know, you got to work hard. I want to, you know, but I don't require, you don't have to be in the office at such and such time or leave a certain time. I mean, you should be working in the dark. You know, you should be doing all these things. And at the end of it, all these things, it's all going to come out in the wash at that point in time. What have been some of your better fundraising events and some of the other programs that you have? What are some of the better fundraising stuff that you guys are doing? Well, I think, I think one, you know, we started a golf tournament years and years ago and, and everyone hears the golf tournament and they're kind of hesitant to that. You know, my, when I started that golf tournament was getting hole sponsors. In the first year we had about 40, 50 hole sponsors. And now we've got 250 hole sponsors at 150 bucks a piece, you know, because the idea was <clears throat> we, once we get one, 
we try to renew at least one out of the three from the previous year, and you just kind of build upon that. And then if you can get some main sponsors, which we charge $2,500 for a main sponsor of those golf tournaments, you know, those, those are your big companies that they, they need a write-off. But if you go in and sit down with those individuals and they hear why you do what you do, that it's not about wins and losses, it's about changing lives and having an impact on kids, people want to get on board with that. You know, it's just taking that message and, and, and upping it and taking it into those people. And then having those people come out and talk with your team so then your team that you have can back up what you're doing. It's one thing just to tell somebody what you're doing. But when young people can tell you exactly – our best recruiting comes from the players that have been through here because they know who we are and they know what we're about and they know what we stand for. Your athletes so work – do your athletes work the golf tournament? Oh, yes. They're, they're out out and about throughout it. And, and we have different fundraising holes where we tell the, we tell the players, like, hey, tell the golfer, hey, if you don't do that, if you don't pay for this little gimmick hole right now, I don't get to eat on the road. You know, and so it's just ribbing them, you know, just just that. Or, hey, you've got on all par threes, you have unlimited mulligans, unlimited five, five, uh, five buck mulligans. You hit a bad shot, that players are like, nice shot, buddy. You know, my, my girlfriend could hit one better than that. You know, something that they're just challenging enough to, to do that. And so, you know, we started out with that golf tournament of, of I think the first year made less than 15,000 bucks. And and now grossing in that thing, sometimes we got to eighty, ninety thousand dollars 90000 You know, that's not netting, but that's part of it. So my idea on the golf tournament is make all your money off of your sponsors, off of your, your uh, <clears throat> off your um, whole sponsors and your main sponsors. And then the fees that the golfers are paying to come, you're giving them givebacks during that time. You know, we serve breakfast, we serve lunch, we have two cooking stations out on the course. Every other hole has free drinks. That's free soft drinks, free water, Powerade, free beer. It's all you can eat, all you can drink during that time. And and so when they leave here, they want to come back. And now we've got a waiting list. Every year we're turning away teams. We max out with 37 teams on that golf course. And and we luckily have you know, a top five course in our state is 20 minutes from us at the largest casino in our state. And so it's a credible, you know, you know, you know, golf course and facility to host something of that magnitude at. And we give out good stuff. We give out underarm polos and Yeti cups. And I mean, just, and then every single person gets a door prize. And so what I did was we have a, 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 a local shop here in town. That's kind of like a, a Lowe's or a Home Depot, but it's a family-owned business. Well, they have all these vendors that they that supply them stuff that they they have a son that played for me. So they get all the door prizes for me. And so you get a door prize, you also might get a $50 Academy gift card as a door prize, or you might get a new DeWalt drill, but everybody walks out with something of some significant value in a door prize. You know, 148 golfers are there. All of that's taken place, and, and at that point in time, you're, you're able to raise a lot of money. But it start, took some years to get to that point in time, but we didn't give up on it, you know. And, and we organized it very, very well, and it took a lot of individuals to be able to do that. And so first thing I did was I, I, I had a local community-based planning team, okay, not just myself. I put local people on that because they can go with sponsors. They may have a relationship with somebody I don't know, and they can build that 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 um level of, of, of support that I might not be able to do on my own. And now those people have seen this thing grow and they're their biggest cheerleaders for it as well. 
Is there a difference between the athletic director hat and the head baseball coach's hat? Do you, is there a difference between the two responsibilities or are they pretty similar? Well, well, they have to be because you, you have to separate the positions. So you asked the question earlier, most of my mornings are all athletic director. After I go eat lunch, we're transitioning into the baseball coach. And, you know, we, we practice at 2.30. You know, so it gives me about an hour and a half, plan practice out, get our coaches together. Um, but I'm not big on meetings. I'm not big on just having meetings for no reason to have meetings. Um, you know, I tell our team, you know, they start to have a bunch of team meetings. You guys are in trouble. You start. It's one. You might need to have one every once in a while, but all of a sudden you got a team that's all of a sudden meeting every single week. That's micromanaging stuff, you know. And it's the same thing with our coaches and our staff. I want to empower them. I want them to go out and feel the freedom to go coach their positions and what they're doing. I'll develop the practice schedule out. This is what I want to do. If the outfielders are an individual group, outfield and coach, you got them. You know, infielders, you got them. They're all separate. Pitching coaches got them. Catching coaches got them. Infield coaches, me, I've got them. And all of that, and then our team stuff will bring everybody in at that point in time, have our team work, um, and then our offensive stuff. And when I'm at practice, I'm a huge body language reader. I love to watch people's body language because I'm trying to figure out who's confident and who's not. Because i got to figure out who can I put and trust when the game's on the line and who, you know, just watching a coach have an exchange with a player, whether whether it's, hey, 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 great job, or, hey, you I need to pick it up a little bit. And me standing back and watching that reaction that play tells me a lot about their psyche and tells me sometimes that person I can that, that person needs to be when the game's on the line. Or, oh, hang on, that person's got a long ways to go before I put that person in there. And so just, just standing back, reading people's body language and getting to know who they are allows you to put them in the best positions to succeed, um, in, in, whether it's in practice or in a game type of scenario. So, so to wear those two hats – I always want to be the same person. I don't want to change. I want to be the same person as the coach, as the athletic director. I just got to separate those in my day so I'm not all of a sudden just, just athletic director stuff and overwhelmed with that sometimes. All right, we're shutting this down. We're moving to the baseball coach and all the problem that may have happened that day. You know what? I'm walking outside and I'm going to coach baseball. The same thing happens with your players. They may have had a day in the classroom that was just bad and whatever. When they go to that locker room, they change. They walk across that line into the dugout. It's all behind them. It's the same thing with me. I've got. Is to that what you're them. using? Where's your separate? Like, what routines do you have? Okay, I've been athletic director for a while. Now I've got to switch into baseball coach mode. Do you have any routines that help you separate? Well, when when my office is about a hundred yards from the baseball field, okay. And so at that point in time, when I walk out the doors and I start making my way down that sidewalk. I'm, I'm getting rid of all that, you know, but, but the other part of it is I, 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 mean, I gotta be on call, you know, something might happen, you know, with whatever, you know, so there's a fine line, but that's where my transition is starting to happen. As I'll make my way down that sidewalk, let it all go. Let's, let's focus on baseball at that point in time. Do you have any core covenants for the baseball program? And if so, do you, do you have the similar, do you have similar core covenants then for the athletic department? Yeah. Well, what I have for, I let our, I let our coaches, have their own core covenants of their entire teams. Okay. So when, what I did is, you know, we, we have a saying DDCS. Okay. The first D stands for develop men. Okay. This is our driving force as coaches and as players on what we're going to do. Develop men. We're not developing baseball players. We're developing men. And if we develop men, everything else is going to take care of itself. And so 
We want them to be the most productive husbands and fathers. 10, 15, I always tell people we're going to find out how, how good our teams are, not because they won some championship and how many games, but when they become husbands and fathers themselves. That's when we're going to know how successful we were. The next day is deserve to win. We talked about that one already. We want everyone to deserve to win. So, so develop men is the first D. The second D is um, deserve to win. The C in that stands for compete in everything. Anything you put your hands on, <clears throat> we're going to compete. We're going to get after it. Whether it's a classroom, wherever it is, and any day I feel like you're not competing, then we need to have a talk. And then the S stands for selflessness. We talked a little bit about selflessness earlier, but when you start to care more about the person next to you than yourself, you've reached what truly a man should be and learning a level of selflessness that actually goes into servanthood. And when people start, when you, when you've got selfish young people that are coming into you and you're teaching those core values that are going to help them be the best, not just best, baby, but the best human being they can possibly become and breeds off into their family. And there's your purpose. There's your impact with that. So those are that. But we, but I also have our team that they take ownership over their own team covenant each and every year. They, the team captains get together. They run a team meeting. They come up with their own team covenant. They bring it into me. I'm just going to look at it. I'm going to type it up, put a signature line on it. I'll talk to the team about after I have that team meeting with the captains of, of why did y'all come up with this? And then each player signs it. And if they don't want to sign it, they're not on the team. But but when you can go back to that cove, that 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 core covenant that that you that they've put in that I didn't put in for them, and they have a signature on that, and you get to call them out when they're not living up to that, you'll see some things fix very very quickly. You don't you don't have to yell, you don't have to scream. You're just able to say, guys, this doesn't make any sense. Like you you came up with this. This isn't my team. It's not our school's team. It's not our coach's team. It's your team and what you could come up with during that time. But we have to have a driving force of the DDCS. So there's direction in that. And so this every every semester I have them write an essay on some question. Okay. So the fall, I came up with the question of what is what does the DDCS stand for? And what does it mean to you? Okay. All right. So <clears throat> I was about to find out if they were listening. Okay. And I was I was willing to be vulnerable in that because I wanted to know if they knew this information that we had been talking about, okay? A hundred percent of them wrote a full, just one page about it. A hundred percent of them knew it from top to bottom. I knew right then we're getting somewhere with this, with this group. So the essay I had them write, um, actually three weeks ago when we weren't around, I sent our group me saying, all right, here's the essay. Here's your final that I, I want to know what you've learned being an LSUE baseball player. Movie. Moving type of stuff when they start to write that and they're taking those, that DDCS and they're going to, it's not something they learned in baseball. It's how they're going to live their life the rest of the time. You know, you're getting some things across, but if you don't ask the tough questions and be willing to get some negative feedback from time to time, you never know if you're having an impact on the people that are, that are, that are in your program. So you have to be vulnerable for that. But also as an electorate, I've got to be the same way with my, my coaches. If, if I'm shortchanging them, I want to know that, okay? I'm not going to get offended by that because I want to help them reach their full potential. And if I'm not doing my part or they think I can do something better, I want to hear it. I want to hear it so I can fix that. But a lot of people will be standoffish on that and say, ah, oh, I'm not listening. No, I want to hear that because I, I truly, if they're motivated and their heart's in the right place, 
they got a chance to go far with what they're trying to do. And we all should be willing to help those individuals. What examples are you giving your team of, of selfless? I think all coaches are battling that right now. And it's not this generation of kids fault. They're just, they've gotten used to it with the computer and the, the phone. What examples are you giving your team of, of selfless? Well, I think the first question you should ask is, is have them come up with, with things they've seen that are selfless in their life. Okay. And having them, not and some of them may not be able to come up with that right on the spot, but maybe asking them those questions and saying, "Hey, tomorrow we're going to talk about this." You know, I think the other part of it is you got to get your team up in front of one another so they can talk with one another, like introduce themselves, tell them their backgrounds, tell them all these types of things, um, because I want them to know where I came from, the way I was raised, the the experiences that I had, and it lets me be vulnerable and lets them ask me any question, no questions off limits. Okay. Ask me any question. I want you to see me. I'm your coach, but I'm a human just like you, and I'm going to fail you from time to time, okay? That's not where my heart is, though. My heart is not to fail you. My heart is to drive you to become the best you possibly can and care so much about you that I want you to have this tremendous impact on the people you you come in contact with each and every day, but also the impact that you're going to have on, on, on your family later on. And so you let them drive that. Let them drive that. Because if, if you got 30, 40 kids out there, they all have something. Most of the time, they're going to go right to their parents, okay? But sometimes you're going to have somebody come up with something, you know, so something somewhere that you look at that and go, whoa, that was real life experience they lived through. And everybody, let them drive it, okay? And then personally, you can give them different things that have happened in your life of servanthood. I think one of the big ones that that I learned, that I learned at my grandfather's funeral, okay? My grandfather was, was a... Um, he went to, he was military. He was in the military. Then he went to FBI school as an FBI agent, retired from that and became a chief of police for over 30 years in the town I grew up in. And so I'm at his funeral and, and, and he's six foot six. I didn't get that height, but he, he's six foot six, but my grandmother was under five foot. So picture that six foot six under five foot grandmother. And, and I'm standing next to my grandmother as people are going through the line, shaking the hands, offering their condolences there. This lady walks up to my grandmother and says, ma'am, you don't know me, but you need to know my, your husband was, was adopting a family at Christmas time. And, and, and his deal to actually, um, I'm getting emotional a little bit, but his deal with, with donate or, or adopting these families is nobody was to know. Nobody is to know this. And if people do know this, then I'll stop doing it. And he and she went on to say he was doing this not just with one family, but in other areas of, of this of this community as well. And I looked at that and go, he was in a political position, okay? And most people would have got the, the newspaper to come take a picture and put them on the front page for doing that kind of stuff or some newspaper article. My grandmother didn't even know it took place. And 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 I that part of it got me. When, when I heard that, I went, whoa, that's a different level of servanthood that that all of us would be striving to get to at some point in time in our life. And and his wife didn't even know he was doing that, you know, and that's how much he wanted because he wanted to help people out, not for the headline, not for what other people would think. He wanted to do it for his, for, for out of the goodness of his heart to help individuals. That was his motivation, not for some pat on the back. And, and there's very, that's a level of servanthood and selflessness that I don't think any of us, get, you know, and just here, and I tell them that story. You tell those types of stories of, of nobody knew. My grandmother didn't even know, you know, and so just 
coming up with with things that have happened in our real life to share share your real life experiences and the things that you've learned through that and possibly maybe some wisdom that you've learned through the through the years some discernment that you learned through the years um you know and just sharing that and being open and vulnerable with that team you're like i get emotional i'm getting emotional right now talking about my grandfather but in front of your team, you should be emotional time from time. You, you can't be, be some some hard ass. It's just boom, 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 boom. Your team needs to see see who you truly are and what your passion is. And I think, Coach, as men, we've been taught not to cry. We've been taught to hold all this stuff in. Why? Like, why, why can't we not be real with that? And when your teams are able to see that you're real and they get to see what your passion is and what you care about them – they're going to run through a brick wall. We all, as a coach, want our teams to run through a brick wall. But if we're able to get to those areas in our life to, 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 to be vulnerable, to tell them what your passion is, what, what you're trying to do with them, you're going to kick them in the rear from time to time. You're going to pat them on the back. They, they, they care. And now those the, through the coronavirus, I got a text message from a kid that quit two years ago. And, and he out of here, and he wrote me this text message. It was his point of growing up and thanked me for for – you know, and I didn't even know all the things that the kid was going through at that point in time. He was here, he was here not even a semester, and he was out. And he he thought in his mind as 18, 19, an 18, 19 year old that this is this is what was going on. And he didn't, and he finally got to the point of he understood the DDCS. And he and he didn't grasp it in the short amount of time here. And he said his biggest mistake that he's made today is leaving here at that point in time. Okay. And I, I look at that and, and, I, and I said, you, I'm a reference for you for the rest of your life. This is why I got into coaching. Okay. This is why. And, and I said, you got, I'm a text, a phone call away anytime you need me at that in any point in time. But a lot of coaches would write that kid off. I'm not having anything to do with that kid. Why'd you get into coaching? You still can reach that individual and still want what that individual for the best for them later on in life. <clears throat> What's the difference for you of your teams that have won the national championship and the ones that haven't? The chemistry of the team, you know, and and some of our best, most talented teams didn't win. They didn't win in the end because they weren't they, the chemistry and the camaraderie and, and just all being on the same page and 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 not really caring what their job title was, just caring how they actually did their job. Those are the teams that won in the end, and they haven't been the you know we've we've had those championships and those teams have not been the most talented teams we've had. The most talented teams we had didn't win in the end because, because they thought they thought they were better than what they were and they weren't willing to pay the price and build the chemistry and have the selflessness that it would take to win in the end. Your summer now, outside the baseball stuff, what is your checklist like being an athletic director? What are all the things that you have to get done in the summer to get ready for the fall? Yeah, you're planning for the fall. And so, you know, with, with – um, you know, so, so our sporting goods contracts up right now. So, so negotiating that right now, um, you're, you're, you're planning out like, like right now we're, we're writing all of this, all these guidelines, how to get back up and running. Um, but also your equipment orders going through our budgets. You know, we don't know what our budget's going to be, you know, and, and, and nobody does anywhere right now, you know, and we're, you know, most States, you know, when you stop a sales tax collection for two months, basically, and States are generating money to operate colleges you don't know where that's all going to shake out in your budget. If your state's like our state is 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 um, off of oil and gas revenue, you know your oil and gas industry is in the tank right now. So you don't know where you're at, and 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 you just you know a budget cut is coming. You just don't know where it's at. But you can't 
you can't lose sleep over that. You can't just look at that and say, oh, no, 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 no. Well, no, we got to figure out a way to make it happen. Okay. Figure out a, make, a way to make it happen. You know, nobody as an athletic director, you don't want to have to go into your coaches and have to cut their budgets. As an athletic director, you want to provide everything you possibly can for, for your athletes um, and your coaches that are out there. But, but you're, you're sometimes, this is what you have to work with and you got to figure out how to make the most of it at that point in time. And so just, just the planning of, of everything from, from the, the, the contract equipment contract right now, negotiating that to figuring out report days for our soccer teams that are happening. We've got those on the map, figuring out our, our apartment complex and our housing for our student athletes, um, figuring out our, our, our physicals are going to be a little more in depth right now just because of the current situation, but also we're looking into antibody testing and, and, and actually getting the saliva test for the virus and, and handling all of that through our health clinic here on campus. Also how to, how to, how, I mean, we're writing right now of how to get in our weight room and be at a safe distance and, and actually limiting amount of people that can be in there and how to do that workout right now in a safe space that's around you, how, how to, how to do all those things and buy all that stuff. And um, luckily, we're not a four-year school that we have our football team trying to work out here next month. We don't have that. You know, our, our, our soccer team will report in first part of August. Um, hopefully, by that time, we're through all the phases and, and, we're, and we're seeing a tremendous amount of positive information coming out right now with the states that have opened and, and, and uh, that have allowed things to start to move around. Do, are we, we going to have cases? I mean, it, 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 it's the new norm right now. People just got to be safe. People got to wear a mask when they need to wear a mask. You know, they they got a social distance. They they need to do that. We got to protect our vulnerable. We 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 know all that. Anybody has underlying health conditions, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but our young people want to be out and about. You know, our young people want to be out and about. Our young people are in a situation right now that have been shut indoors right now, or all of our country. So what's happening with people that have been shut indoors right now, and what are the ramifications with that right now? And time will tell. You know, we're living history right now and nobody knows the right answers. There's no playbook. There's no recipe for what to do right now. We're all figuring this thing out on the fly. And, and we just want to make sure we're trying to care about our, our, our neighbor that's sitting right next to us, but also understanding we got an economy as well. You, you, so there's all these factors in this. And thank God I'm not a politician. Thank God I'm not in charge of stuff like that. And I just I just got to figure out how to run some athletic programs. Thank you, my friend. Much yeah. appreciated. And um I've enjoyed following your career. It's been amazing and I'm proud of you. Very proud of you. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Great time. And anything we can ever do to help out any of the coaches, ABCA, man, awesome. Been a member since I started. Um, been a huge, huge proponent of what I've learned through the ABC and through the clinics and, and you know, just the resources that you guys provide. And you guys keep doing what you're doing. Let's keep growing this game. And and looking out for the kids that are underneath us. Well, that was that you were one of the first guys I would always see. It was like clockwork. I'd walk into the convention, and you're usually one of the first person that people I would see. So it was amazing. Yeah, right there in that front row, and, and just taking notes, trying to digest all I possibly can, try to do things better than what I'm doing. All right, thank you, friend. Thanks, man. Take care. I've always been impressed with Jeff's drive and passion for running a program and developing people. As a former teammate, I'm really proud of what he's built at LSU Eunice. He has an infectious positive energy, and he was a much-needed pick-me-up in this challenging time. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks for listening, and leave it better for those behind you.